Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and together? you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, and uh, this is a look at the Australian film industry. But anyway, we're going to uh, go to something that I played on Solidarity Breakfast. It was an interview that I did with Nicholas Wathel, who was the filmmaker of Undermind. It's a grand, a grand film that uh, is about the experiences of uh, people, Aboriginal people living in uh, the Kimberley and their interaction with uh, white uh, uh, people. Uh, uh, business entities, really, who want to take over parts of that area, this pristine uh, environment. But anyway, uh, it was recently shown at the Marxist conference, which was last weekend, and there are other ways that you can actually access uh, seeing this uh, incredibly interesting documentary, uh, incredibly powerful and important documentary, actually, for people who live in Australia. Okay, so we've got uh, Nicholas Ruthall. Nicholas Ruthall, yes. Ruthall in the studio today, and uh, he's talking to us about a great film called Undermined, Tales from the Kimberley. Can you tell me what the impetus was for starting to make this film? The impetus was actually when the federal government and the Western Australian state government announced that they were going to cut off funding to remote Indigenous communities. And then Tony Abbott made that famous statement about not supporting people's lifestyle choices. And that just sort of spurred uh, Stephanie King and myself to start investigating what was behind that story. Obviously, there was a big backlash against that, protests around the country, and the government sort of backed away from those cuts. Uh, direct cuts, but you know, as we started to find out from people on the ground up there, they felt like the pressures of industry and development in the area were what was driving trying to move people off the land. Yeah, uh, as um, I've always said, uh, and I'm sure I'm not the only person, but uh, all Aboriginal policy is really mining policy. Would that be <laughs> so true? And in this case, it's not just mining; it's irrigated agriculture. It's, uh, you know, the cattle industry has a lot of power up there. But, yeah, mining is one of the key things. And at the moment, since we finished the film, fracking is a big threat in the region. Oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, so you decided to – how did you decide to actually uh, marry the stories? You, you've actually uh, decided to uh, focus on uh, individual stories. Yes, we 
We wanted to tell stories from people on the ground. We wanted them to tell their own story, really. We wanted to make an observational documentary. And so we went in and just started interviewing people all around different communities and talking to people in the towns and then slowly during the process sort of filtered out who we thought we should focus on because their stories, one of the stories, the one with cattle, with the cattle industry with Kevin Oscar and his family, was sort of unfolding as we were there. So that drove us to focus on him and that story. It was just uh, serendipitous, I guess. And then with Albert, I think his story uh, was just That's a, Albert Wigan. Albert Wigan was a you know he was an activist and very involved in the James Price Point protest that eventually stopped the development of the gas hub there, and. It was just an example of the kind of things that can happen up there if people aren't trying to protect their land and the environment. And even though that was slightly in the past, Albert's personal story also, I think, really lets people from the outside into the world and gets to see through a very articulate young man, uh, gets introduced to the Kimberley. And then the third story uh, with June and Mervyn was really about the river and also about them not getting access to their homelands since the cattle station had changed hands and was now in the hands of Gina Reinhardt and they didn't have the same relationship and couldn't get access to the land. Um, it's, a and, bit, it's a bit like an Oliver Twist story. Please, sir, can I have some more? You know, every time they want to go and sit beside the river, they have to go and bleed. Yeah. And they never had that situation before, so they they were you know really up in arms about it. And it's such a poignant scene, I think, when they're standing at the gate to this property that she grew up on, and they can't they're not allowed to enter. Mm. Do you come from across there, or is I don't. I'm actually from Sydney, and and honestly, I was living overseas for a long time, and only came back to Australia about five six years ago, and. Uh, you know, I was looking for a project to do in Australia and was spending a lot of time traveling in Australia and suddenly got involved in this. And it was a very slow, organic process. I spent a lot of time out there in the last three or four years. But it's, 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 it's almost like this is the story to tell, isn't it? This is the story of uh, Indigenous Australia trying to enlighten Anglo-Australia. I think so. I absolutely think so. And you know, I think if people watch the film, it might pique their interest to go out into these places and to speak to people and learn from from this culture that we've shunned for so long. You know, it really opened up Australia in a different way to me personally <coughs> as a white filmmaker. And people out there were, that helped us with the film, and Albert Wigan was one of them, Was became a producer on the film, were so generous with their time and stories. And I feel like it's a place that I'll go back to for the rest of my life now. How long did it take? Because it was over time. It was over three and a half, four years. We were out there doing research at first, and then we were out there filming, and we worked with a local cameraman, Mark Jones, who's based in Broome, so that opened up a lot of things to us too. He used to work out there with Malcolm Douglas and knew a lot of people and knew the land. Is that Malcolm Douglas, the one that was a friend of mm. Albert's father? That's right. Yeah. He was a sort of adventure filmmaker. a fine filmmaker. story. Amazing. Albert's personal story is amazing. and uh, His father's story is amazing. Those pictures are amazing. Yeah. We were very fortunate to have their support and be able to access that footage as well, which opens up Albert's story and his father's story and gives so much sort of context and background to, to what's going on there. So we were out there for at least six months filming in sort of one month, six-week six blocks over a two-year period and then going back and doing consultation, showing people edits of the film, 
most of the editing and the production stuff was done out of Sydney, which was a shame uh, that we weren't out there all the time, but that's just the way that, the way it worked. Yeah, it's the nature of the beast. But is it a little bit like the uh, dust gets into your pores or the sand gets into your pores? Yeah, absolutely. The dust gets into your pores, the air gets into your pores, the beautiful skies, we were sleeping outside. You know, the earth is so rich and alive there. You feel like you can eat it. You know, you really feel like there's something that gets into your bones and in what Albert would call your lian, your spirit, that you really feel that, this place hasn't really been disturbed. And I think that's one of the great values of it to Australia and to us and to the world, in fact. You know, it's, the coastline, for example, is one of the pristine coastlines in the world, second undisturbed only to Antarctica, which is completely frozen Ooh. over. Mm. You can go down the coast for over a 1,000 kilometres and you won't even see a light on the shore. Oh, well, that's perfect place to go and disturb it and destroy it and make money out of it. <laughs> well, exactly. And you only have to look south to the Pilbara where there's massive mining going on and has been for a long time. And, and that's why people up there know what could happen and they're very protective of it and quite organized and passionate to make sure that they don't become the next Pilbara. Well, you show through Albert Wiggins and his story about Beagle Bay and uh, the uh, AGL uh, portside gas uh, hub that they wanted to build there. Uh, that was a really fascinating piece of uh, uh, filmmaking. It was and also uh, archival uh, footage. Uh, there's a lot in that, because politically speaking, because it actually brings up the business about native title uh, and fight back. And the actually disparaging way that uh, the authorities deal with uh, Aboriginal leaders from the land councils. Yeah, it's astounding when you dig into that story and the history there, which was only a few years ago, you know, five to seven years ago, what went on, you know, the, the amount of police that were brought in when the protests started from Perth, the way that the... the State government was dealing with the land councils out there and manipulating them, dividing communities, making deals with certain people, you know, um, also using native title, you know, twisting and using native title loopholes to, to make deals, to, to make sure that these deals were rammed through. And that's one of the things we discovered and many people up there spoke to us about the, the nature of native title and it, that it's not land rights, that it doesn't give people any kind of protection or any veto. It gives them a seat at the table, but there's a six-month window in which a deal has to be done, and if, if, the, if there's not some kind of consensus made, then the government and the industries can use native title to get the deal done. God, that sounds like uh, industrial relations law in Australia as well. Oh, commonality well, here. It's a, it's a form of it, and... Um, you know, I think that's one of the myths that we've tried to dispel in the film, even though we don't go into the nitty-gritty of native title, that, that it's not land rights, which is what a lot of people in the general public probably think it is. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's one of the reasons why I brought this up. I, uh, you really do get that across. I thought there's a really important message to get across. Um, and there was a piece of footage several times where you've got uh, the man from the... Uh, 
uh, Aboriginal uh, Land Council standing there in a suit with a man from the industry in a suit and then some government representative coming along. The government rep- representative completely disses the Aboriginal Lands Council man and goes and shakes hands with this guy. It's, I mean, the body language was incredible, fantastic edit. Just unbelievable. We spend a lot of time in the edit. You, you, you let them hang themselves. Yeah, well, we had to be careful also legally what we were doing and what we were saying around a lot of these issues. We had to vet the film several times with barristers and so on. Oh, really? Yeah, Mm. we had a bit of pushback coming from WA and, uh, you know, we had to be careful. So we, as you said, we just sort of showed the situation and tried to hint at what's going on by letting people go about their business. We were very lucky to have some... uh, access to a lot of footage from different filmmakers that were living and and out on the front lines of those protests that shared them with us. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, it was very nicely put together. It was also good that you actually got to speak to the man from the land council so that, you know, he wasn't the en- he wasn't the enemy. He wasn't the bad guy. He could explain himself how he got it caught into this. Yeah, that's Wayne Bergman. It's it's a really interesting situation because, you know, he was sort of on the wrong side of history in a sense at that time. And now, five years, six years has passed. He's had time to reflect on it. He's had community interaction since. And, you know, he's sort of talking to us in the film about the pressures that he was under at the time from government, from industry, and from certain uh, pockets of his community to make a deal. It's very compelling. Yeah, very compelling. It tells you a really lot about the uh, political situation and the individual tensions and how terrible it can be. Mm. Yeah, it was very good, uh, very interesting. Um, We've covered a couple of things that were just fantastic to learn and feel in this film because there's lots of things to feel in this film. Uh, The uh, story about the cattleman and his family and the deal that they thought they were making and Mm. the deal that the Anglos thought that they were making is quite illuminating as well. It's quite tragic, really. Yeah, it's a terrible situation um, that... You know, this, the Bunaba people got themselves into with a, a joint venture with outsiders that have come in making promises to help, uh, you know, fund the, the muster and put inject money into the cattle station. And they thought they were making a cooperative deal. And again, we had to be careful about what we said or didn't say because the legal matters between those two groups going on. But and and whether they ca- whether that outsider came in with the best of intentions, as he claims, you know. Th- it's hard to say, but in the end, it became a real mess, and they were tied up in legal situation. They brought in outsiders to run the farm for a while. The Bunaba people and Kevin Oscar and his family had to leave um, their own land. Their own land, and the you know that station that he'd been running, and no money was coming into the community because they weren't able to do the muster because of all the legalities going on around this joint venture. Which now, uh, as an update, those people have left and we're sort of back to square one. Now they're looking at, okay, how can we get this back on track? Kevin's back on the station and his boys are back after three or four years of, of fighting. And they've sort of lost all that time and opportunity, but they're, they're determined to make a go of it again. And I think one of the strengths of the people that you meet in the film is even though there are some negative and sad stories, there's a lot of resilience and strength and, and some hope in these people. They're, they're going to make it work one way or another. Well, what, what they say is that, you know, country is country, ultimately. That whatever... That was why it was so fascinating. 
uh, that, uh, I mean, it's a bit like you've got a, you know, filmmakers, they've got a film that they want to make, and uh, except it's much more important, a film that you want to make that's your dream, you go and get producers, they give, oh, you, people who give you money, and then the people who give you the money say to you, oh, I don't like you, I'm going to get another director in. Yeah. It's, exactly, it's exactly the same idea, isn't it? Except it's yeah. worse, of course. It's it's country. It's country. It's generations of that have lived on the land. It's their connection to country. Um, you know, we were lucky enough to meet incredible people up there and just sort of let let us into their lives. You know, the other story with June and, and Mervyn on the river, they took us around so many sites and talked about all the development possibilities with agri- agriculture, irrigated agriculture, and how all these big pastoralists want to take thousands of gigalitres out of the river in the wet season to start growing crops and turn it into a new ord scheme uh, at Fitzroy Crossing, which you know, they're horrified of because they're constantly looking to the south, to the Murray-Darling, and saying, we don't want those problems up here. We've got an untouched, unspoilt river, the only major river in Australia that's not dammed and not um, you know, under a lot of irrigation pressure, a place that... you know." is unspoiled and could be, you know, an example to the country and the world of, of there is a big push at the moment to get it listed as World Heritage, actually, which is something that uh, I think people are going to hear about next year, especially if we have a change of government. You've shown this film around Australia. We've started to. We've been showing it in film festivals, and now we've got a release that's coming out this week around Australia. We did a screening, a Q&A screening in Perth with Albert, uh, on Monday, and I how did, did that go? I did one in Sydney on Monday as well. It went really well. We're in the Western Australian newspaper today, and there's, we've had a lot of press around it. And uh, I, I think it, I think especially out there, it's creating a, a discussion, you know. And that's what we're hoping for. And the film comes out this week in, in cinemas, so you can find it. Uh, all the details are on our website at undermindfilm.com. Um, and, you know, we're also trying to get it out. We've been showing it to communities in the Kimberley and we're trying to get it out to smaller smaller locations too through a system that we've built on the website where people can request to have a screening. Great. Okay. So how did the um, people over in the communities uh, react with the film? Um, the community reaction has been really great. We, did, uh, we were up there in November doing community screenings. We did a big screening uh, in Fitzroy Crossing with Kevin and his family and about 120 other people. Another one in Derby at the Moen Jamaat Centre, a big one in Broome and one out in Albert's community at Beagle Bay. And overwhelmingly, we had a really positive response from the local people there telling us that they felt like we'd done the right thing by them, that we'd let them tell their stories and that we hadn't misrepresented it. We'd spent a lot of time up there trying to be as careful as possible and worked closely with the CALAC, the uh, Kimberley Aboriginal Law and Culture Centre, who we had an MOU with from the beginning, worked closely with Albert, with a lot of other leaders like Merle Carter, who's in the film, and you know tried to tread very lightly, if, if that's possible, as an outsider. And I think you know we, we got the buy-in from the community as overall, um, which has been great. We were invited to a lot of the AGMs and cultural festivals year in and year out, and I think that helped us a lot because we got to speak to so many people on camera and off camera. Mm. Um, you must have lots of loads more footage. So much more footage. So many stories that we followed and we couldn't fit in. We, you know, it's complicated to make a film with three different stories, let alone more than that. 
So we are going to at some point get down to cutting some additional material and putting it out on the web and, and so on because there's so many other amazing people to meet up there with amazing stories. It's also a campaign. I mean, I was just going to say that I've observed that in a couple of different films that have come out, like the uh, Putapara uh, and the Rainmakers and a couple of the Motorkite Dreaming, those films, uh, it's almost like... Uh, Aboriginal people from different places are gathering people to come and do the work, the, get the messages out there, uh, even down to uh, um, musicians, uh, Aboriginal musicians who are actually there not to become big and famous, but to actually be cultural ambassadors, that the, the fight is on and the campaign is on for everybody to actually uh, do what they can to make a positive change? Well, I really hope we can add to that campaign, to that discussion. You know, we've got a sort of impact strategy we're building around the film to try and bring attention to these issues. We're, we've, we're aligned with the uh, Save the Kimberley campaign and the Like Nowhere Else campaign, which is focusing on saving environmental, big environmental issues up in the Kimberley. And we're encouraging people to engage with traditional custodians when they're in the region to work with businesses up there, to go on indigenous tours, to, you know, to get to know people and spend their money in the places that needs it most. And we're also looking to raise money around the film so that we can take the film on a bigger tour of communities all around the north. So, again, there's more information on our website about that, undermindefilm.com. Okay. And are you intending to take it overseas? We are. We're in the process now. Just last week, I made a fully subtitled version of the film. It's just so that, um, you know, people with second language to English can, can follow it. I did a little test screening with some friends uh, in the U.S. recently and found that they struggled to understand some of the accents. So we're sending it out at the moment to uh, sales Which is agents. a bit rich, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> considering that there's such variety of American accents. Well, that's anyway, just bye they're, bye. they're not attuned to our our accents. So, so yes, we're doing our best to get it out internationally. Yeah, good. Okay, good. Thanks very much for and good luck with this. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Hey, Melbourne's newest film festival is about to hit the screens. Now, put this in your diary: the 26th to the 29th of April, the inaugural Birrarunga Film Festival will showcase Indigenous films from across the globe, an incredible selection of feature films, shorts packages, conversations, and even virtual reality. Now, head to www.birrarenga.world. That's B-I-R-R-A-R-A-N-G-G-A.world. And book your tickets. See you at ACME for the most exciting and global Indigenous Film Festival right here in Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. And that's it for Showreel this morning. Pity we didn't get to hear about Celeste, but we did get to hear about Undermined. Uh, and uh, that was done, that interview was done earlier in the year. So uh, they've already done their uh, screenings, but uh, they have opportunities for people to get their hands on the film by going to their website. Coming up next is Published or Not, and we'll continue with that fabulous piece of music, Early Morning Come down blues. Early morning, come down blues. As wide the day is new. 
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.